This message was recorded at North 2013, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming to the seminar. Uh, I'm thrilled to see you. Uh, I know it's, the time has been changed and uh, we still had, have you come, uh, even with the changed times. Straight after lunch, uh, if you're like me, I'm still full of lunch. <laughs> and uh, hope I'll be able to keep uh, awake myself <laughs> as I speak to you. Uh, so this is growing in leadership. So let me start with uh, just getting to know us a little bit, then I'll talk about me. But uh, let me just, just check who's, who's here. Um, if, look, those of you who are in leadership already, in any kind of role, lovely. And I uh, assume the rest are what they may call emerging leaders, yeah, sort of drifting into leadership or sometime you would be a leader. So I think that's almost like a 50-50 split, which gives me a very good idea. Okay, we'll read scripture, and then I will start. I'll start talking about, first of all, I'll just give you a bit of myself, um, who I am, uh, and some of my leadership experience, because I think that may be relevant to some of the things we may be talking about. So, as somebody told me, the best place you can talk about anything is just talk about you. Uh, you can't be wrong about you. Uh, whatever you say is correct, because it's you. Uh, so I'll start from there, so at least you can, first of all, get to understand who I am and uh, why I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Then we'll be looking at uh, growing in leadership from Psalms 78. So if you've got your Bible, come with me to Psalms 78, and we'll be reading from verse 70. So if I shout, uh, partly because I've got a slight... Uh, codes uh, due to uh, the lovely British weather. Uh, I'm missing too much sun. You can see I'm still in a jacket. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but uh, it's not too bad. I came from down south and the weather was brilliant. And I'm told it was brilliant here until I came yesterday. <laughs> uh, so that's good. It's warming up very nicely now. Psalms 78. And growing in leadership. So as you look for that um, on your iPhone, iPad, what, uh, whatever you're looking at it in, um, I just wanted to say uh, I, I would like to pitch this at a fairly general level so that those of us who, have, who are starting off in leadership can pick some stuff. But also I realize there's a lot of things we can learn from those who have been in leadership for a longer time. I do believe there's still room to grow, so there is stuff that I feel God spoke to me about even this morning uh, as we were praying with the leaders on uh, some of the veteran leaders who have gone through a lot of stuff as part of being a leader in church that we could encourage each other but also pick up in certain places where the enemy would have uh, hit us hard. It is tough sometimes to be a leader. Well, I said sometimes. Somebody would say nearly all the time. Leadership is a tough job. And uh, 
A lot of people have been leaders for a long time. If they were to ask, some of them, if they were asked to be, would you consider being a leader again if you were to restart? Some of them would say, no, thank you. I, I, I would rather just keep myself to myself. It's too much trouble. But I think there's also the joys of leadership. And that's why many aspire to be leaders. Because with everything, there is a, a tough side and a very good side. We start with David. In Psalm 78, it's talking about David. David, probably one of the best leaders you can think of, one of the best kings in, uh, in Israel for his time. And it summarizes uh, uh, David's uh, leadership at a time um, when uh, the environment was that the people of Israel, when you look, read Psalm 78, the people of Israel were failing to uh, obey God or be the kind of people that God had called them to be. And then David is introduced at the end of that chapter in Psalms 78. Let's read verse 70 and verse 72. Just the last two verses of that. Seventy-eight and verse um, seventy, and the Bible says there that uh, verse seventy, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from nurse following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people Israel, his inheritance. Now, uh, I would like you to take note of 72. It says, with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hands. Now, I would like somebody with an NIV or KJV uh, to read verse 72 for us, just so that I can borrow certain words I want to run with this afternoon. Thanks, Rob. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the joy of leadership. Thank you for the calling to leadership. Thank you for the challenges of leadership. And the results, rewards of leadership. Father, this afternoon as we gather around your word, we pray that by your spirit you speak to us, you challenge us, you inspire us uh, in ways that only you can. Father, I pray that, Lord, your word will be opened to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David was chosen by God in verse 70. And he says he took him from leading sheep and following after the youth, lambs, to shepherd God's people. And verse 72 says, with, an, with a heart of integrity. That's what he says in yours. He laid the people of God with a heart of integrity. And then he guided them with his skillful hands. So I'd like you to just underline uh, those two key things that uh, I think will be important for us. The first is a heart of integrity. How did David lead? He led with a heart of integrity. So we'll be talking about the heart of a leader and how that is so important in leadership your heart 
is probably the one thing that distinguishes you from everybody else. When we look at David, I think that when you look at, compare especially his predecessor, Saul, it's the heart of David, the heart of Saul, it's really their hearts that separates them. I think the same difference runs through even today. It's the heart. So I would like to speak especially for those of you who may be just starting out or you, um, my God is drawing you into leadership things, that the heart is really the starting point. He laid them with the heart of integrity. Now, uh, 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 you will see uh, some of the things we'll be running with, like if, you, if that's handled badly, uh, people do get hurt. And when you talk about hurt, it's the heart that gets hurt. Amen. Sorry, I'll be saying amen. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm from Africa. We do that sort of thing. But I have to remember we're in the UK. You don't do that sort of thing. It's too cold to say amen. But I'm sure we can say amen. You say amen. Can we? All right. So if you like something, you can say amen. That will encourage me. All right. So it's the heart that's hurt. So uh, I'll be talking a little bit this afternoon about, uh, you know, why it's important to guard your heart, even as a leader. The heart of a leader is so important because if that's not handled well, you, it's almost like you set yourself up for a lot of hurtful things, a lot of difficult situations, uh, because it will go straight, straight into your heart. And people see your heart and they either like you or they absolutely hate you. Uh, you know, and they won't tell you. But, you know, that's the funny thing about leadership. They, they just follow you, put up with you, and they call you names in secret, uh, but they just don't like your heart. Um, so, we'll talk about the heart of a leader, but also from the perspective of protecting you. People do get hurt in leadership, and if we don't handle certain things right, um, we get a soul, or we get an ally, as we look at them um, in the Bible. Even in Zechariah, as we'll see some things, that certain things begin to happen that really, uh, really sort of skews your leadership experience. Then the second part of this will be talking about skillful hands. Uh, hopefully we'll get there we're on the skillful hands. So, uh, before I go into that, let me start with me. Uh, I'm from Africa, Zambia, as you've heard from Rob. I'm uh, leading an apostolic, uh, an emerging apostolic sphere in Zambia. We are looking after 33 churches. Um, but personally, before all that leadership responsibility, I'm just Joseph. I'm married, got four kids, three boys, and one lovely little girl. Love her to bits. I'm missing her already. Just talking about her just now. Uh, they are back home in Zambia. Um, you know, our biggest cry, when you look at Africa, and even as I talk about 33 churches that we are overseeing now, uh, is our biggest cry is not for money, not for material, not for buildings. Our biggest cry, come to think of it, is for more leaders. We can't raise enough leaders quick enough to take on real responsibility, especially leaders with David's kind of heart and his kind of skill. Our biggest cry is that even, even now as I'm here, I was just uh, at West Point uh, the last two days and talking to people who are doing leadership development and thinking who's doing what, you know, with the UK, um, uh, what, what you call it, foundation leadership thing. Uh, and talking to people who have been doing that and seeing how we can import some of that. Uh, because leadership is key. The church will only be as strong as its leadership can be able to take it. 
And uh, leading those 33 churches, uh, many times you go into a church, you look at it, and you feel this is either a leadership issue, it's a leadership failure, or these guys are having success, and guess what? The, the leaders are getting it right. Uh, John Maxwell would say, everything rises and falls on leadership. Leadership is so important, even as we are on mission to reach nations, that needs leadership. Uh, to plant churches, you need leadership. You know, to do various things we have to do in church, whether it's children's work, social work, it's leadership. So, uh, my leadership experience started uh, somewhat much, much, much earlier. Uh, some of you could pick up uh, from uh, what, what Rob said. Um, I, uh, let me just pick it up in 1977 where I gave my life to the Lord. I was in a Baptist church. And um, I became a Christian then, in 1977. Um, I know that sounds a way back for, to some of you, but uh, yeah, there you are. 1977. And I grew up, became church pianist, uh, became youth leader in a Baptist church setup. Uh, so I was quite privileged to test a bit of Baptist uh, leadership, got involved in church planting right there uh, as a student. And in 1988, I had the privilege of very few... Uh, uh, Zambians that uh, we had at that time of being given an overseas scholarship so I ended up in, uh, in London doing my first degree in uh, chemistry uh, four years later I finished that and uh, I was uh, offered a scholarship to, to do a PhD at uh, the University of Manchester in applied chemistry um, so uh, in 1995 uh, when I finished uh, I just felt a clear sense that God wanted me to go back. Uh, the University of Manchester offered me a postdoc, but I just felt it's time to go home. And my, at that time I was married, and uh, we packed our bags and went back. Um, worked uh, uh, our way up like everybody else, followed my career uh, with Dunlop and then BP, quality assurance manager, regional manager. We did quite well, actually. Um, we held a record on what we call zero defect. I was in quality assurance, so we're trying to see who can actually churn out a lot of oils without getting them wrong uh, in, in a year, and we were holding a record for that. So because of that, uh, BP asked me to start doing what we're calling regional audits. So I was looking after BP quality audits in Zambia, Zimbabwe, and a bit of Mozambique. Uh, kind of enjoyed that. But still the core was very clear that the Lord wanted me to still be thinking about the kingdom. Not that what I was doing was wrong, but I started being drawn back to uh, uh, church leadership. So uh, uh, I tested a bit of corporate leadership there. Uh, BP uh, lined me up for what they were calling succession plans for Southern Africa. So they had a few young people whom they think these are the next generation of senior managers in the subcontinent of Africa. Uh, but uh, in 2000, uh, God had other plans. So I found myself going um, into church full-time. I uh, became part of a leadership team initially while still working. And uh, we took our own a church of 20 people. Uh, uh, and uh, within a couple of years, I don't know what happened, but that church grew uh, quite rapidly to about 600, 700 people. Uh, and I found myself leading it. I don't know how, uh, but it's strange. Uh, but I was leading it. Uh, and uh, the Lord just did some 
amazing things to, to the level that in 2001, um, um, the leader, the bishop, as he was called then, at that time he felt that uh, what we had done in Kitui, we need to repeat it in Lusaka. So he called me to go to Lusaka, which was a bigger church, 3,000 strong, 3,000 strong, and asked me, me to be his administrator and senior pastor, just lead the what he was calling a reconfiguring of the church. Although it was 3,000 strong, he felt that uh, we needed to change certain things. I needed some new blood. Uh, but he thought, I don't know, he looked at me and he thought I had some blood that could do the job. Uh, strange as that may sound. And uh, I felt, this is exciting. We prayed about it with Lillian. We thought, let's go. So we went. Uh, when we went there, uh, it, was, it, was, it was good. And uh, I gave it everything, all I knew from the corporate world, from uh, a couple of years before, and all we did in Kitwe, uh, some of the which I'll be talking about. And that's why the heart is important. I mean, I gave it this. I mean, I knew how to chase goals. I mean, this was just, these are the goals, let's do them. Uh, we've got to achieve them, we tick all the boxes. I mean, everybody was happy. Well, nearly not everybody was happy. Uh, I discovered on the goal side, we, the church grew almost doubled, finances increased by 70%. Finances are important in church, apparently. But uh, our financial goals were uh, skyrocketing. Uh, the, they had 60 house groups. When we got there, um, in 18 months, we had uh, gone to 168 cell groups. Um, so, and setting up systems for all that change, the eldership team, the leadership team, really streamlined it for a mega church in an African setup. Um, we seem to have been doing very well, but something was going wrong. That's in my heart. I just began to hate what I was doing. I just, something was not right. I mean, we, everything looked good. Growth, finances, everything. But uh, a, uh, almost a year later, I, I was tired. I was I felt misunderstood. I'd created a lot of enemies. I didn't realize the, the whole bunch of old elders, not old in age, the previous elders, uh, they were all my enemies now. I mean, it's like I had got them out of jobs, you know, reshuffled stuff. People didn't like the structure, especially old members. Uh, uh, although we're getting growth, we're getting results, this whole thing was just like, I had so many enemies I didn't realize in church, you know. And the good thing with church is that, uh, the tough thing is that people don't tell you and they don't like you. Uh, we are very good at putting up, you know, just being hollow. Praise God. It's going well. I'm senior pastor and who talks to me? You know, very few people. Uh, but it was not going very well. So after that, uh, there was factions, people fighting, people doing that. We just said, look, this is enough. I think we better listen to God and go. At that point, I almost resigned not only from the church, but I, I considered just throwing in the towel. That's enough. Church, let's go to the corporate world. We are qualified. We can do something else. I don't have to put up with all this. Have you been there? Sometimes you just feel like giving up. You know, they say the church is one of those organizations where leadership, you know, I have a lot of respect for you church leaders, us church leaders, because really leading a church is very difficult. You know, when I was in VP, leadership was easy. You just gave instructions, everybody did it. If they didn't do it, you fired them. 
and come to church, you can't fire anybody. What do you do with all these disobedient deacons? Uh, and, and, everybody, and everybody has an opinion on this and that. And I say, oh God, bring order to your organization. It's too much disorder. Uh, but, but that's what we need to understand how David did it. And some of the things we'll be talking about. But I just wanted to mention at that point, I almost walked away. And except that God came in. The Lord just interrupted me. I had an encounter with God. And he sent me back to Kitui. Uh, just to say, first of all, do church differently. That's how I became interested in New Frontiers. We went back to Kitui, started a new church. And uh, we ma- I made up my mind, I would look at leadership differently. Uh, and maybe try to follow. You see, leadership in the Bible, it looks very much the same as leadership in the corporate world, but it's actually quite different. There are some very subtle differences that sometimes, the way even in church we're teaching leadership, that if you don't pick the subtleties, you would, you end up with a very corporate leadership style in church, which will give you the goals and all that and growth and everything which is all nice but then it may miss the heart of what we're trying to do can i hear the men from somebody on our all right so uh, i slowed down and uh, we started the church in 2002 day spring which is the one we're leading and uh, by god's grace it, it grew uh, in 2004 i came to uh, to the ukmet rob and the rest is uh, History, we got on a journey to know New Frontiers, and uh, I, I just loved what I was seeing in New Frontiers. Mind you, I'd been in this very big mega church, and so I had something to compare with. And I just really liked certain things about the way Terry was looking at church, uh, not just because it's Terry, but because uh, it fitted with what I was be- beginning to see in the Bible. And... Uh, uh, the, uh, from the one church, we now have planted uh, 12 others uh, from that group. And uh, uh, four years ago, we became part of New Frontiers. And now last year, oh, I was asked to see if I could help lead the group of churches which were part of New Frontiers and those who were looking in. And uh, last month, I was actually released to start helping leading uh, an emerging team uh, our apostolic team to look after what is now a group of about 33 churches in Zambia. Can I give you a, a little bit an, of an idea f- uh, about me? Amen. Okay, now, what have I learned? Come back to the s- scripture. Psalm 78, it's the heart of leadership. The heart is important. David was called by God. He was chosen by God, and the Bible says... With a heart of integrity, he led the people of God. Proverbs 4 tells us that the heart, it says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. So your heart really is a wellspring. Your heart is, uh, even in leadership, uh, your heart is uh, what will uh, determine the kind of results long term that you get. Uh, I, I mentioned about the heart. And the heart um, uh, is, 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 is a center uh, from which uh, everything else, all the issues in life will be. You know? 
when David led people with the heart of integrity, I've always picked that verse from the integrity bit, which is very important. That in leadership, is in, integrity is very important, and an integral is a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So integrity is talking about wholeness. Uh, what people see is what, what you are. There is no duplicity about it. It is just, uh, you are genuine. You are real. Um, you know, uh, I, I read, uh, and I still keep a little book. I don't know if some of you have seen it. Uh, apparently, it's a classic that politicians um, uh, read. On the, it's called the, the Law of Power. Anybody seen that? The Laws of Power. Apparently, it's a very classic book from the 18th century, and it's gone through, I don't know how many updates, but it tells you how you can wield power, how you can gain power, how you can keep power. And, you know, it's almost like this is what people, people do. Um, and, and, and I've found some awful principles in there, and all of it is uh, things like um, you shouldn't let the followers know everything you're doing because then you lose the power. They know everything. So you keep them guessing. You know, there's a hero thing. You know, where you, uh, people follow a, a, a cultish figure. You know, you've got to be, to have this sort of hero-like, you know, stature. Then there's something mysterious about you. And um, people follow you, and they don't know exactly what they're following. Uh, you are a leader, you, you know. You, you understand what, I'm, what, what I mean? It, it, it's, they, they follow something greater than themselves. And, and, you know, but when we come to the heart of integrity, that's almost the exact opposite. Bill Hybels, in a very tiny book, I wish it, 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 he wrote a big one, he said some leadership lessons that Jesus taught that are completely opposite to leadership as we know it. And he talks about, I don't know, I can't remember the exact title, but but that's basically what he talks about. He talks about, for example, um, a servant's heart. He who wants to be first should be last. You know? If you want to be great, you should be a servant. So, he, Jesus, just uh, that's just an example of some of the things that Jesus uh, puts to the fore to deal with, uh, you know, it's an issue of your attitude, your heart, your integrity. And uh, we are told here uh, that uh, uh, um, David did that. He had a heart of integrity before God. He was real. And I made up my mind in my second part after the first glorious part that I'll go for a heart of integrity. Uh, not be a hero. Just be a leader. So what's leadership then? Uh, Oswald said and John Maxwell quotes him he said uh, leadership is influence nothing more, nothing less it's how we influence people to follow a cause great leaders have been able to um, uh, do certain things that cause people to uh, follow them to achieve a great cause but there is always a great cause, there's no leadership leadership for its own sake is empty isn't it if we are leading people, by definition, we are taking them somewhere. So I should know where I'm going. Otherwise, uh, there's this little uh, taxi sticker we, you see on minibuses in Zambia. Uh, they stick it uh, at the back of the minibus. You're driving and you see this sticker and say, it says, don't follow me, I'm also lost. Do you have those? 
So, uh, so by definition, when you're leading, it shows it. it, it uh, it implies you have a destination. And that's why we come back to David again, that the issues of the heart begins to deal also with God has called me to leadership. God has called me to lead people to what? Where am I taking these people? Because really, if I don't have a destination, I really should stop the bus and just walk away. I, I don't know. This bus doesn't have a destination. We're just going around in circles. We're just doing church. Hello? Yeah. It should have a destination. And the moment you don't have a destination, it's time to quit and let somebody else lead it. Uh, not just because it's a label. I've been always a leader. But you see, if God is not telling you to lead people anywhere, maybe you should just uh, let other people do it. That's very difficult to do, isn't it? Once a leader, always a leader. You want to die a leader. That's why I admire Terry and what he has done. What he has done for us in New Frontiers. We think, is there another way of doing this? Uh, but you know, I, I personally feel that he's a man of integrity. It's latest to the, I mean, probably, maybe not now, maybe in 10, 15 years, God willing, before Jesus comes, we'll realize what a man of courage Terry was to do what he has done and what a man of integrity is to do what he has he has done it's not 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 less any difficult for some of us but uh, it just throws out opportunities so um the so leadership has to have where you are taking people it's influence influencing people to a cause so david led the people of god and one of the things we know about david the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he was a man who loved God. And one of the key things, you just hanging around David in Psalms, you will see his heart of how much he loved God. And if there was anything he was leading people to, it's just to back to God. Back to love God, to honor God, to serve God. In the era of David, uh, uh, people enjoyed the season where God was amongst them. Uh, uh, and through Solomon, they even built a tabernacle. To the Lord God. Your heart. Your heart. Your heart. Now, let me pause and turn to Moses, still talking about the heart. You see, Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and turn there with me if, uh, if you can. Uh, I identify a lot with Moses because Moses, um, if you read the account of Stephen in Acts chapter 6, uh, chapter 7 rather. Uh, you will see how uh, uh, Stephen describes Moses. And one of the things that you notice that comes out is a period in Moses' life when something happened. I see it as a shift in leadership, which I went through myself. The first part of Moses' life, you remember the time that he had to, uh, when he grew up in Pharaoh's house, and um, he identified himself with the people of God. And then he decided that he was going to do something to begin the process of liberating the people of God. In Exodus chapter 2. You remember? He started some uh, secret operation by David, by, by Moses. And his, his scheme of trying to just find a way. He says, we'll just uh, deal with them one at a time. So one day... He found somebody mistreating 
uh, a Jewish guy. And you know, he quickly came in, helped. He was known as a prince of Pharaoh, so he should have been on the Egyptian side. But he knew who he was. We'll come back to the issues of identity. He knew who he was and identified with the people of God. He killed the other guy and let the other guy go. And he thought, this is how to do it. We are with you. We'll deal with these guys. The following day, he found two, two Hebrew guys quarreling. He tried to sort them out. And what does he say? What does he hear? Who made you prince over us? Do you want to kill us the way you did that? Then he realized this thing has gone wrong. The Bible says he ran away. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to kill him. He was just trying to help. I want you to see uh, Moses' heart. He was doing it with the right intention, but wrongly. So he ran away. A bit, maybe not a bit frustrated. I think you can see a huge frustration. For, for the next 40 years, he was in the wood. He went away not just from Egypt, he went to Midian. Not only went to Midian, married a daughter of a Midian priest. That's how far he wanted to go. Away from it all. Frustrated, I tried to help. It didn't work. The very people I was trying to help accused me of trying to load it over them, doing stuff that they didn't ask me to do. So, none of it. Now, when I looked at that, I could identify with that. And then also God began to show me what I'm calling a leadership exile. People that have tried to do something, certain things. You could, you could, you could try to do leadership uh, the best way you know how. And, um, but, you know, you come to a place where when things get tough, you have no way out but to exit. And don't we have people that are in church today, mainly very senior leaders who have gone through stuff, in the process of trying to help with church, with leadership, they've gotten hurt in the process. Certain things have been said to them, done to them. And they have two options. Some of them have given up, even left church altogether. Others have just given up leadership, but they're still in church. And you, sometimes you spot them because when you as a young leader or a new leader comes in, you will notice the... the, the, the tend to have a voice at certain times. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> we did that before. It doesn't work. I'd suggest you try something else. Um, uh, in the same church, uh, I, I, I mentioned to you before, um, there was just a group of people that obviously had grown this church. They knew this church. They knew the history. So as we tried to do things in a different way, you could hear there's a voice. And, and it's not because they don't like God or they don't like what you're doing. They just have a lot of stuff that they've gone through. Uh, and they're probably, with a very good intention, they're just warning you. Uh, careful, you may be hurt the way I have been hurt. You know. And my cry really is, you know, I think we shouldn't write off those people. And uh, even today, I'm thinking, we've got, a number of experienced people who have just gone through some difficult leadership stuff who don't even want to do leadership anymore in the church. You ask them to do something, they'll say, no, thank you. I've been through it all. 
you know. I think this is like Moses at that point. I'll just do some sheep. Leave me alone. You know, nothing to do with, with this. I, I don't want to be hurt. Until God turns up. I think if you've been hurt, you've been in that situation, what we need is an encounter with God. Amen. It's not sitting down with them and trying to talk them through. You see, Moses could have gone back and had a committee meeting or with the elders of Israel and chatted them about, you know, let's talk about this. There was a misunderstanding and blah, 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 blah. It would have never worked. For Moses, he was hurt. His life was threatened. He ran away. What he needed was a clear burning bush experience as we've come to know it. Uh, God turned up. And then guess what? He sent him. So the issues of the heart is, let me ask you this question. Those of us who are leading, why are you leading? Who gave you the mandate to lead? See, we find ourselves in different leadership positions for different reasons. Sometimes people just ask, ask to lead. I've been asked to lead. You know? Uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing? You know, I've been asked to lead. Uh, my leader said I could do this. And so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's not good enough to carry you through the tough times. There's got to be a personal calling to lead, to do what you are doing. In this regard, I'm thankful to the Apostle Paul. He is so boringly repetitive in all his epistles. He starts with Paul, an apostle called by God. You've read those, eh? I almost got to a place where, uh, there you go, Paul again. Let's start Galatians. Paul, an apostle, called by God. All right. We've heard that before, Colossians. <laughs> Paul, in Colossians, an apostle, called by God. Is this guy just trying to repeat himself unnecessarily, or is he boasting or whatever? No. You see, what protects us is why we're doing what we're doing. Is called by God. You know, I had to confront that. Uh, when they asked me to lead the churches or the team that will be serving the churches in, in Zambia, I, I had to go by myself and say, is this what God is saying? Um, we, we had a church plant uh, in Lusaka. I think Rob is aware of that. Uh, and um, Because Lusaka is a capital city, I'm in a third largest city in, uh, in Zambia. Lusaka is a capital city and uh, Three years ago, we felt as a team at that time, we needed a big church in the city of Lusaka. And um, it became apparent that really it needed to be led by somebody who had a bit of experience under their belt. And I started almost feeling the same, that, you know, this, the necessity is that I need to go and lead that church. But thank God, because I started feeling, okay, look, the necessity is there, the, the, you know, it's the right thing to do, it's a big city, I've got some experience, I've got some skills, uh, there are guys behind it, you know, we came to the UK, did the Lusaka day, and I was just feeling everything is just right, you know, and uh, I said, hang on, but God hasn't said anything to me about leading this church. Now, I just want to pose for all of us leaders like that. Sometimes we can be quite carried away by all the good stuff, logical stuff, 
and there is no clear indication you are to do this. You know, uh, Moses was very clear. God needed to tell him, it's you. Go. Go to Pharaoh. He even had to have a conversation. Now, it's not because Moses was unbelieving. Mind you, he knew this is God. He took off his, his uh, shoes. He was on his knees, but he still had a very straight conversation with God. We've got to get this right. I'm not just going back. I've been hurt there before. I, I'm not going to take anything for granted. You know, and uh, I, I like the tough questions that he asked. He basically asked five questions. Let me read them into some of them in, in chapter. Because of time, I'll just be quoting. You can read that. In Exodus chapter 3, the first question, when God told him, go to Pharaoh, I have seen the cry of my people. Lead them out. Wonderful cause. There is the vision. Now, you see, uh, uh, Normally, when I would teach on leadership, I would talk about vision. You know, you must have a vision. You must have a vision. How the kind of a vision must be simple, must straight. It must be, must be goal-oriented. You know, must be specific, time-bound, everything, all the good stuff, and it should be. But then we do not sometimes ask what's the origin of the vision. We we don't just wake up and dream up one. For us as Christians, we don't actually originate vision. Vision is given to you. Because, hello? Vision is given to you. No, no one comes up with a vision. I, I, I don't dream up one. I, mean, I don't think that Terry just dreamt up new frontiers. Wouldn't it be lovely to have new frontiers? And you go read new, nowhere one path. A lovely book. Uh, and you see how God laid him and showed him. And what we're seeing is because this is something we can all agree, amen, that it was from God, not from Terry. Terry just obeyed God. So, uh, it, it pays to take time. I, this time, I'm into mobilizing leaders to come and do things. We've got, you can imagine with 33 churches and the nation there and nations around us, we, we need a lot of people to help. But still, the basic question comes. If you say to me, just, uh, I just feel... Come to Zambia, let's do some stuff together. So it's great. But let's make one thing clear. Make sure God is said so to you. Because when they, as they say, the rubber hits the road, that's what will take you. That's what will keep you going. Because God said so. And you have a vision. Now, the vision is, I call it a leadership burden. The burden that you carry, that keeps you awake at night, that causes you to pray. But that burden is not yours. It's something that God has imparted on you. Now, you see, we can envision people, we can talk to them about stuff, but, you know, at the end of the day, God needs to burden your heart with something that is from Him. And then He will give you the power, the anointing, the skills to do it. In fact, He's not thinking all that now. He's already wired you up. For that, your personality will fit in. The way you look at life will fit in. Everything will fit in. In fact, even the family you were born in, what you've gone through, all that was a setup for this burden you are to carry in life. And we call it your life mission. 
Do you see? Uh, now, in the corporate world, we just talk about vision and uh, as if something that you sit around, think hard, it will come to your head or something. But obviously in church, we have our Father. This is His church. Who's building the church? Not you and me. Not Jeremy. I am building my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're all just fitting into the Lord of the harvest. Who's sending forth laborers. And is giving us assignments and positions. And, and is the one giving us instructions on what I'm supposed to do. When to take my position. And when it's time to move on. We take our orders from him. We are an army. And the command. I thought somebody would say amen if I'm on, ta- on track. <laughs> Okay, my time is running very quickly. I should be finishing. Huh? I should be finishing. Are you following me so far? Yes. Is, this, is this helping you? Okay, so the leadership burden. So, God imparts his burden on Moses. And Moses asked the five questions. The, number one, look, who am I? Now, Joe did a fantastic job this morning. On identity. Because who am I is an issue of identity. You see, Moses had been there. He tried to do this leadership thing. And you know one question that caused him to come back? He was asked the same question. Who made you prince over us? That was what one of the guys said. And that shook him. He realized nobody made him prince over them. Now this time when God says go... He said, we've got to get this clear. Who am I? The issue of identity. You know, your identity, as Joel said this morning, uh, is very, very important that uh, you sort who you are first. And in fact, your personal identity, uh, some people go into leadership for the sake of enhancing their personal identity. They feel, well, if I become a leader, then people will respect me more. They will... Treat me better. I'll be getting better seats. You know, drink coffee first. Uh, and if in Africa, in Africa we know how to honor leaders. Amen, Africans there. Uh, you know, and you'd like to be a leader. You get a soft seat. Everybody greets you. Here, they greet me, Joseph. There, you know what they say? I'm uh, the Reverend Dr. Apostle Mila. Now, here is the point. If I begin to get my self-worth, my self-identity, like Joe, Joe, Joe very powerfully put it this morning, from that, then the problem starts. I'm in for a tough ride as a leader. You have to sort that out first. Beloved, whether you're going to the mission field, whether you're going to run a church or support somebody in running a church, you've got to know who you are, where your identity lies. Because if that's not sorted, you will attach your identity to all sorts of things in leadership. And not only will that not work very well, but it will hurt you in the long run. It's you to be hurt. Because people say a lot of bad things to leaders, don't they? And some of you have gone through some tough stuff. So have I. So if I have not sorted out who I am, I'm just going to have a tough, tough time. 
because I like what Paul says. In all those scriptures I mentioned, at the beginning of every uh, epistle, look at the wording. It says, Paul, that's his name. I'm just Paul. Then he says, an apostle. But his name, this is where we get it wrong in Africa, eh? because we say, apostle, Joseph. You know, it's the wrong way around. He says, Paul, an apostle. So first of all, you are just Joseph. That's it. We've got to just be happy with me as me. This apostle stuff is just a gifting. It's very important, but it doesn't make me. Is, does that help you? So, Paul, then an apostle. Been called by God. That's why I'm doing the apostles thing. I'm, I've been called. So he sorted out the identity issue. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, uh, but the Lord says, uh, "I'm with you." How did God answer that? Who am I? He didn't even answer the question. Have you, if you go and read that, he said, "Who am I?" Uh, uh, the Lord should have actually gone through a description of who Moses was. I, I think in an exam that's what should have happened. That's the correct answer. God didn't bother to do all that. He said, I'm with you. I mean, that's sort of like a wrong answer to the right question. Who am I? I'm with you. In other words, who you are is derived from who I am. My presence in your life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So that was sorted out. Now, Moses would need that later on. Because, remember... Moses went through ten powerful miracles to try and convince Pharaoh that God had sent him and he needed to release the children of Israel. And in each one of those powerful ten miraculous signs, Pharaoh didn't believe. And if you go and read that again, you'll find that for each one, God says, go and do this. Obviously, the assumption is that Pharaoh will believe and release the people. That's why we're doing it. But Pharaoh didn't. So, you see, there will be moments in leadership where things just don't work. Yes, God has sent you. And this is very difficult, isn't it, in leadership? God is with me. How come it's not working? I've got it wrong somewhere. No, you haven't. Maybe you're just spot on. You're doing exactly the right things. But it's part of the process of helping us trust God. So in the end, you as a leader, don't become a small God because you're just, you're this superman looking just to anything you feel you could do. You've got to keep relying on God. And I like that, really, with Moses. He comes and he says, go and do this. He gets all the instructions from God and he comes to Pharaoh. And he does it and Pharaoh uh, believes for a moment, then he changes his mind. Then he says, they're not going. What does, Pharaoh, what does uh, Moses do? If he was like, hear me, Leaders, you just go and try to think this through. No, he didn't do that. He went back to God. Isn't that a nice picture? Eh? Just keep going back to God. Just keep going back to God and back to the people. Back to God. And back to the people. And back to God. And so it is the question of our identity is in God. And therefore we continue going to him. Number two is, alright. So, when I go, who should I say you are? That's a strange question. I mean, this, 
at the beginning, he had knelt. He knew this is God. Now he's asking, now, what should I say you are? Well, you say I'm God. God didn't argue with him. He simply began to show him, I am the great I am, which in English doesn't explain much. But as you know in Hebrew, that's loaded with all sorts of stuff that we, can't, we don't have time to go through. But basically, it's a question of intimacy. He knew, he needed to know God. I'm reading First Samuel, and I was in chapter 3 the other day. I would say, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So when God spoke, Samuel couldn't even recognize, this is God. You know, I stopped there and I said, how many times has God spoken? And I didn't even notice it's God. You know, I don't know about England. But that's one of the things we, we, we have trouble with in Africa, is that people are, are trying to ask the question, how do we know this is God who is speaking? Because in Africa, I don't know, do you still have demons in England? But in Africa, we have a lot of demons. <laughs> uh, and uh, demons speak, principalities speak. And so, uh, because we're such a, a, a culture that's keyed in to a lot of uh, the supernatural, which incidentally the West is with this new age thing, they're plugging into all sorts of supernatural wrong stuff, which at the end of the day is just demonic, and they don't realize it's all clothed in nice terminology, you, you know, uh, but that's another thing. But the, the point is, uh, he needed to know this is God. Who, now, uh, can you explain to me, God, who you are? So in, when I go, I'll tell them. It challenges also my theology. I could do theology, and then I just have a set of ideas on who God is. But beloved, that's not good enough. I need a revelation from God on who God is. Hello? Uh, now, as leaders, that's very, very important because, you know, we deal with, we are the ones preaching with it. Where did I get the idea? I mean, I read a, a number of years, like many of you would have read this, the, 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 the little book, Your God is Too Small. Uh, you remember that classic by... Is it J.I. Parker? J.B. Phillips, yes. Um, uh, and, and I think that the issue of personal revelation is very, very important. Having an encounter with God to ensure that the theology is not just something I'm thinking about. It's something that God, who is in the Word. So, um, that's very important. I, I need to give you the last two questions quickly. Uh, who are you? That's the second question. The third one is, what if they don't believe? Now, that's a biggie. What if it doesn't work? What if I say, tell them all these things and then they don't believe? Do you know that's one of the reasons why many people, they stop right there and they say, I'm not going to do it. What if it doesn't work? What if it goes wrong? I know in most of the cases, God doesn't even tell you what you're going to do if it goes wrong. Do you know, he didn't even tell him. That's one thing. There is no life assurance with the work of God. There is no insurance that we can't insure against everything going wrong. I wish we could. Especially in church. Starts, I mean, so many things go wrong. Sometimes you even doubt, is God in this? Why did I start this in the first place? No, so it's like, okay, no. So, uh, Moses is thinking, this went wrong before. Okay? Now, you're telling me to go. Now, let's sort this out. What if they don't believe? What, what, 
tell me in advance so I know, you know, I've got notes. I, I know what to do. What did God say to that? You know? It's a question of intimidation. We are intimidated, worried about the results. What people's reaction might be. God simply said, trust me. I'll be with you. Just trust me. Isn't it amazing how God doesn't tell us everything in advance? Wouldn't it be very easy if he could tell us everything in advance? Maybe we should all just pray harder and try to convince God, please tell us everything in advance so it will be easier. But God doesn't work like that. It's called trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and you make your path straight. That's the only way to make the path straight. You want a straight path? Trust God. The fourth one. And I'll be finished in a minute. That's what we do in Africa. Do you do that in the UK also? Finishing three times? All right. They need to clear this place because there's another thing coming in. Let me just finish this. I Can't Speak talks about um, dealing with our inadequacies. And the last one, for those of you who are writing uh, notes, find somebody else. That was the bottom line. Just find somebody else that deals with our inferiority. And that's a big one, comparing yourself to other people. There are people who are far better than me. Why God bother with me? Just find somebody else. I mean, they'll do a better job than I am. Leadership is about carrying the burden of God. I pray that the burden God has given you, He'll give you the power and the will to fulfill it. Amen. Amen. I have to stop there. God bless you. Thank you for listening to me. Amen.